In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Amen. Just a quick announcement, Father Roni is in the confessional, for anybody who wants to go to confession. As we close out this season of summer, which looks into repentance and how we can turn to God throughout the days of our lives, we hear this parable that Jesus tells us, which is sort of a parable about hope. Hope is understood as one of the three theological virtues. There's faith, hope, and love. Faith is understood as believing God and believing that He would be faithful to His promise. Love is, put simply, the free gift of self in a total, unreserved, unconditional way. And hope is distinguished from these two in that it's confidence. It's the confident expectation that God will bring about His promises despite the obstacles that are in front of us. So hope is properly ordered when this hope is in the right person. Because when hope is put in the right person, you're hoping in the one who will deliver. And who is the best person who is faithful to His promises? Besides God, who is the good Father, who keeps His promises. Hope is disordered when we begin to place our hope in anyone other than God. And oftentimes we think it looks, losing hope looks like someone is depressed or someone is sad or someone is kind of blue or unmotivated. I think this could be true. But I think hope takes another, hopelessness or losing hope takes another form. Losing hope can also look like not just losing hope in the truth that God would deliver me, God will provide and God will fulfill His promise for those whom He loves, but beginning to place that hope elsewhere and specifically oftentimes when our hope is not in God, where else does it go? Who, do, who else do we trust the most? Ourselves. It's very subtle. It's hard to catch. But it's very dangerous. The first man we see in this parable is an excellent guy. Very excellent. Carries out his duties. He's probably someone who checks a lot more boxes than we do. He fasts twice a week, probably more than you and me. He prays probably more than you and me, and that he goes to the temple and he offers incense daily. He even says, from everything that he gets, from his work and from whatever he, his profits are, he gives 10% of it. 10%. Probably a lot more than what most of us give. I could tell because I see the church's financial statements. I'm joking. 
So this guy probably checks a lot more boxes than we do. However, this man does not go home justified just because he's checked these boxes. And he doesn't go home justified. He doesn't go home righteous in the eyes of God. Why? Because his hope was not placed in God. His hope was placed in his own strength, in his own ability. And when he really goes to the temple, he's not praying and asking God, and he's not doing these things because he says, God, I need to do these things because I need the help. No, he's going to the temple and saying, look at what I'm doing. Thank God I'm not like everybody else. And who knows? The devil is smart. The devil is smart enough to say, I'm going to lose these battles of fasting. I'm going to let him fast. I'm going to lose these battles of prayer. I'm going to let him win this one. I'm even going to lose the battle of almsgiving. I'm going to let him have all of these. Just so that the biggest battle, the battle of pride, I can win that one. And he wins against this guy. And he dupes him into believing that he can believe in his own strength and power to get him to where God wants him to. And that doesn't work. And we've tried it. It's tried and true. As much as we believe that we can get there on our own strength, it doesn't work. We Christians, we have a beautiful moral compass. What the scriptures give us and what Jesus shows us, He, he shows us a beautiful, joyful, and fulfilling way of life. Although it's difficult, although it's hard and demanding, it's a beautiful moral compass that God gives us. However, the moral compass God gives us is not so that we can see ourselves as better. The moral compass Christ gives us to fulfill in these, this way of life is to show us, is to be the medicine for our lives, is to show us how desperate we are to hope in God alone. Oftentimes, many of us say, I could never do that. That's something I would never do. I would never do this sin. I don't know how people do that. Sick-minded, right? Or maybe we promised ourselves at maybe a younger age, or maybe before we do something in our lives, or as we're younger, we say, I would never do this and what these people are doing. The majority of us who planned in our early lives that we would never or we stand on our moral high ground and we say, we wouldn't dare do that, we often find ourselves having done the thing that we say we would never do. If I'm wrong, if you're hearing this, and if I'm wrong, thank God. But if I'm right in saying this, it happens because we slowly think we can sincerely follow Christ faithfully, not by God's power, but by our own strength. It happens when we think that prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is not a medicine that keeps us dependent on God, but a status bar to show the rest of the world. The moral compass, the prayer and fasting, the demands of Christianity are not there 
so it can separate the good from the bad, but it's medicine for us who are so desperately in need of God. And the failure of this Pharisee who went to prayer was that the things he did was not to place hope in God, but in himself. Think about it. When we go for forgiveness, we say, I don't need absolution from a priest. I'll just go straight to God. Is that not placing hope in yourself and in your own powerful enough prayer to go and confess your sins alone? Many people say, well, I don't need to go to church I don't need the Eucharist to get close to God. I say prayer in my home. I have my little corner. It's not not placing your trust and your hope in what you could do in your house when the medicine of, of immortality is here placed on the altar, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. When we fast and we give alms, it's not a favor or it's not a status bar or a symbol. It's a saying, I need to give this or else I will become what God is warning me not to be. How are we cured from this thinking though? We see the second guy who goes to, to the temple and pray. This guy is a lot more like us. He's aware of his sin. He's aware of what he's done. And who he can become without God. He knows how ugly he can be. He knows how dirty he can play. He knows how low he can go without the grace and mercy of God carrying him. And for this reason, when he goes, he doesn't go out, he doesn't stay outside of the church. Even though he sinned, he knows that God still loves him and he wants to forgive him and to bring him into his relationship. So he still comes to the dwelling place of God to worship. But when he comes to the, the place of God to worship, he doesn't look up. He, all he says, he doesn't announce his good things that he does, but he says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Because the only thing he knew he could give that has his signature written on it is his sin. That's all we got. Everything else that we're giving back to God is originally his. So we, ha so we have to be ready to believe that without actively hoping in God, not just saying God will take care of things, not actually doing things that God instructs us to hope in Him, we actually have the capability as sinful, fallen human beings to do the sins of those people that we're shocked by. It's a hard truth to accept. But that's the only way we can believe and hope in God. St. Therese of Lisieux, if any of you have heard of her, she's one of the most beautiful saints that came from the Carmelite order. Her spiritual director, the one who kind of walked with her and guided her and talked with her, he would say that this girl, this beloved woman was so close to God that he doesn't even recall her even doing a mortal sin. But do you know what she says? In her diary she writes, God, 
If it weren't for your saving mercy, holding me and protecting me and guiding me throughout my whole life, I would have fallen lower and sinned greater than Mary Magdalene. What great humility she understands that whatever goodness is in her, whatever good thing that does come out of her, whatever sin she hasn't done is not because of her own strength, but it's because of God's protective love that has kept her and saved her and delivered her. And my friends, if we don't begin to have hope like this and actually believe this, we won't be able to have hope. But if we begin to believe how far away from God we could be because of ourselves, but we also could believe, and once we begin to believe that God, in, with hope in Him, He can take us to where He is, once we begin to have that kind of hope, this is where God will take us to Himself. Amen.